Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and in this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, the quarantine binging continues as I've finished Netflix's The Witcher adaptation, as well as the anime adaptation of Beastars, and the Rudy Remore biopic starring Eddie Murphy, Dolomite is My Name, plus the original Dolomite as a companion. Uh, after the reviews, we'll be discussing my issues with the horror genre as I see it, so let's get started. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. I really am not binging as much as most people seem to be. Like, most people seem to be, like, finishing all kinds of stuff all the time. More often than not, I tend to just <laughs> binge on YouTube videos, especially ones that I've seen already. So it's like, okay, yeah, I'll just re-watch this YouTube video again in the background instead of having something... Because I feel like I'm always required to pay more attention to something instead of having it on in the background, uh, at least in terms of something new. So I finally finished The Witcher series, and... Honestly, yeah, it's fantastic. It is a- absolutely excellent. It's a perfect void filler for uh, Game of Thrones. Um, and what's interesting is that it's created by one of the major producers over at Netflix. Um, I forget her name. I'm pulling it up right now. But she was behind the Daredevil's uh, Netflix series as well as the um, Defenders and the Umbrella Academy. Lauren Schmidt is the producer and the creator of The Witcher uh, for Netflix. And yeah, she's, she is, you know, she is a producer to watch. If she's putting stuff together, keep an eye on it because she is solid, solid uh, production work from her uh, in terms of like creative tell. Apparently she used to write on the West Wing and did a show on Fox called Drive, but she's been mainly working at Netflix between Daredevil, The Defenders and Umbrella Academy. And, um, Apparently, she also worked, she was a producer on Private Practice. She did uh, Power. Was that the adaptation for, uh... okay, no, that's something different. I'm thinking of Powers, which was adapted for, I think, PlayStation Network. Uh, Power was a Stars series. Um, Who's it starring? Uh, Omari Hardwick and... uh, bunch of people i have 50 cent apparently was in it so she wrote on that uh for a bit she's mainly working at netflix now and (laughs) she's had a excellent um track record so far um between writing for the witcher and writing she wrote on all of the defenders episodes as well as several episodes of um daredevil so She's, you know, she has a good track record. And the show is honestly a great void filler for uh, Dragon. Uh, <laughs> um, that's the only, one of the only, re- one of the reasons people watched it was the dragons. Um, no, Game of Thrones. I think it's an excellent sort of void filler for that uh, kind of dark fantasy uh, for people to watch. And yeah, it's got, it's got really solid effects, a good mix of practical and CG from what I could tell. Excellent soundtrack. I mean, Try to get uh, toss a coin to your Witcher out of your head. I dare you. It's a it's a great earworm. Um, the one thing I will say is that it is much like um, Game of Thrones. It is very casual with its nudity and mentionings of rape. And I think uh, it, it, that's kind of there at the beginning, but then it's a bit, it dropped a bit later on, so it's not there all the time. 
but there is like one of um Jennifer's biggest um her main defining uh character drive is to be able to give birth again because her transformation left her unable to have children and it feels very icky but then that may come from the source material um so yeah i mean that's that there's only so much you can do uh but i think she's still a fantastic character and i love where her character goes over the course of the series and yeah it's interesting that uh it time hops like unless you're paying close attention you don't know that it's there's a whole bunch of stuff happening. All the stuff that's happening is out of order. It's very nonlinear. So I actually have to rely on the Wikipedia uh, descriptions to know what era was happening when, because they don't really tell you what's happening when. You think it's happening concurrently, but it's actually happening out of order. So be aware of that if you haven't checked it out yet. Um, but yeah, it's really solid. Uh, Jaskier is a great. <laughs> he is the quintessential bard character in every D and D campaign. And, uh, yeah, some really solid episodes throughout the course of the series, like the one where they, it's all a dysfunctional D&D party trying to face down a dragon, and the ending of that is a nice twist. Um, then, of course, the whole, uh, abusive Hogwarts bit with Yennefer, um... Yeah, and then the rise of fascism. Like then, of course, by the then by the end of the of the series, we start talking about the rise of fascism. So that's a thing. <laughs> Didn't expect that, but uh, it's I, I, it's very welcome. Uh, you know, more you know, more people need to be aware of these kinds of things so that they know to look out, what to look out for, and um, reality as well. The more people know about what to look for, the more they can pay attention to what's going on around them. Hopefully, um, you're. Uh, your uh, opinions may vary and your experiences may vary. But um, yeah, it, it's got a real somber ending too by the end of it. And it leaves a great opening for what's going to happen next. So I'm very curious to see what The Witcher Season 2 is going to bring. It really was an, as, an excellent fantasy series. Not amazing. I, I, didn't, I didn't absolutely love it. I loved parts of it though. So it's really, it's very solidly produced, excellently produced. It's just not something I would binge over and over again. It's still, it's still something I would highly recommend people go check out, though. Next up is one that's a bit more recommendable and one that I'm, one that I would that I might check out again if it wasn't so freaking traumatizing, and that's B Stars Horny Zootopia, as they call it. Uh, yeah, it's a mix of hand drawn and CG animation from what it looks like, and it's really experimental. Like the opening. Uh, sequence is all done in stop motion with like felt and there are moments in it where that goes from to like an actual watercolor sequence the first scene in the in the series is actually a negative dark sort of you know it takes like all the all the color and it turns it into like a negative uh portrayal to signify the darkness of a classroom and yeah it's real the animation in this is experimental and i dig it um but I think my problem is that will they, won't they, romantic dramas were never my thing. I always, I mean, maybe, I think that's just me. Like, I never got into, like, there, some romances I can get into, but, like, the will they, won't they, teen, especially, like, teenage romances, which is what this is, they never hook me. They, I always feel like I'm being dragged along to, in order for just to get, get it over with. <laughs> but, um... 
I do like Legoshi and Haru's relationship. I feel like the way it start, you know, like the the fact that um, it starts out uh, secretly as this very dangerous thing, and uh, but it becomes like Legoshi having this massive crush on Haru and having to deal with that, especially since Haru is much more sexually experienced than him and much more open about her sexuality and. Yeah, uh, he's much he you know he's very nebbish and you know not despite the you know despite the fact that he's a big lanky wolf he's very nebbish and you know ner- you know very reserved and uh, awkward and so it's kind of through this pursuit of Haru that he become that he starts to give in to his wolf urges as it were but he not but not in order to um, hurt anybody. Uh, at least not till the end, but, um, you know, g- gain control of his urges, but not to kill people, but to protect people, I should say. Um, I think what threw me off is that, uh, I forget her name, uh, but I know her as Kari from, uh, from, uh, Digimon. Uh, let me see. Lara Jill Miller is the actress. Uh, other people might know her. From the Loud House, she's Lisa Loud. She is Lammy on Doc McStuffins. She is also um, who was her character in uh, in what was it? Uh, Wow Wow Wubsy. She was Widget the Pink Rabbit in Wow Wow Wubsy. So I mean, this is girl who has gone from anime to kids shows to like she was in Winx Club and all kinds of stuff. She was apparently in Sponge in a, one of the SpongeBob video games. She was the voice of Juniper Lee in uh the that TV show for Cartoon Network. She was Puppy Clifford when that was on. So I mean like here's this girl the woman, here's this voice actress who's done so much stuff for like kids and you know young adults and it's like all fairly wholesome for the most part and then next thing you know you hear her playing this horny rabbit and b starts and i'm and you're like oh god no please no no oh god my childhood <laughs> but um she's fantastic she you know she's a very I, she's a phenomenal voice actress and um apparently the guy playing lego she in the anime in the uh dub used to did a voice for um Jello Apocalypse for one of his uh, so this is basically series so good for him for breaking into the into much more much more um, mainstream like voice acting gigs and not just doing stuff on YouTube but um, Kylie Bears in this uh, as as a couple of characters um, trying to th- see if there's anybody else uh, I don't really reckon the main one I recognize is Laura Jill Miller as Haru. And yeah, it's it's uh, it's honestly really really interesting. Like it's definitely like a darker take. Whereas um, Zootopia was very lit, you know, did not go into the darker aspects of like what would happen if a carnivore of car you know of carnivores and herbivores living together. Um, this goes into like actual murder and sex and all kinds of darker adult places it it does not shy away from that so um i think my problem though is between the will they won't they melodrama you know like the all the love and love lines being crossed because you know you love her she loves him and he loves somebody else you just can't win and it's just like not to mention the fact that they're in a theater club so already (laughs) now you're adding an extra drama you know scars (laughs) 
from when I was, you know, from all the crap you had to, I had to deal with. Although, thankfully, I will say my theater experience is not as bad, but I've definitely seen the pettiness and the draw, you know, the melodrama behind the scenes of a theater company in terms of like, um, at least in terms of like high school stuff and college stuff. Eek. Even in adult, as adults, it's just like, God damn, you're adults. Start acting like it. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very interesting, um, series. I definitely recommend people check it out, especially for, like, the animation. The animation is king here. I don't like the storytelling as much, but the animation is, you know, top-notch. It shows cases just how, you know, far we've come in terms of, like, anime where we can start to incorporate more CG elements and still make it look clearly like anime. And uh, if you haven't yet, go check out Beastars. Just be warned, it's it's horny as hell, and it is violent as well. <clears throat> horny as hell and violent as well. There you go, Beastars. <laughs> um, the last thing I really took, took up was uh, Dolomite is My Name. I finally watched that, and y'all, <laughs> Eddie Murphy was robbed? Eddie Murphy was robbed! <laughs> he did a phenomenal job playing Rudy Ray Moore in this movie. And the fact that Marriage Story was the one that got all the attention is a disgrace. Marriage Story is just a hackneyed new attempt at doing uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Oh, the poor white, <laughs> you know, creative type in L.A. has to whine about his divorce. Boo-hoo, crimey, ripped like, God, I don't care. I genuinely do not care about Noah Baumbach's divorce issues. Eddie Murphy playing Rudy Ray Moore and showing us the creation of one of the most iconic pieces of black exploitation cinema. This was ignored, and it was unfair, and it was unjust, and the system is broken, and we must burn it to the ground! And Sorry. Mm. At any rate, yeah, if you haven't yet, go watch Dolomite is My Name. Even if you had no interest in seeing in Dolomite or Black Exploitation, it is a wonderful, it is better than the disaster artist, personally speaking. Like the same kind of similar deals, only Dolomite is actually better than the than uh, the room. But the idea of like, here's these people just cobbling together a movie and it's and it succeeds beyond all expectations. It really it was it, not to mention the fact that you also get to learn about Rudy Ray Moore himself. The fact that he was a struggling entertainer for years, and then he started kind of cobbling together a persona by talking to these hobos who lived in, I want to say, L.A., uh, wherever he started out. <clears throat> and um, there is a bit, of, there's a bit of an issue because it's like he's technically stealing their stories, so he's make, but he eventually does make it his own. So it's not full outright theft, especially from like these poor starving hobos. And he does, uh, he does seem to take care of some of them and pay, pay some attention to them. So it's not terrible, but it's definitely icky. It's, it's that kind of, uh, I don't like this territory. But um, he took these stories that they would tell, these yarns, uh, and he, would, he crafted a persona around that, which became Dolomite. And eventually he turned the Dolomite into a character for stand-up, started releasing records under it, and then he got the idea to do a Dolomite movie because he seemed to be hitting a wall with the records. And he's like, you know, what's really something is seeing yourself on a 90-foot screen. And he's like, I'm going to do that. And everyone's like, are you out of your damned mind? And he was, but he managed to get it done. 
miraculously, he managed to get it done. Self-promoted the hell out of it. And eventually there was a bit where, um, if this is true, uh, there's a bit where he's in Indianapolis promoting his stand-up. And um, the, the uh, radio DJ played in the movie by Chris Rock, but it could have been anybody, um, kind of wanted, kind of was like, look, if nobody, you know, it's like, I'm trying to help you promote this movie that you made because the people are wanting it. And he's like, look, nobody wants it, man. He's like, I got a dude. He's going to, he'll let you show it downtown. And he's, and so it's like for $500, I can show, I, I, for $500, he can pay the theater to run it for one night only. And it sold out. Though for the midnight showing in Indianapolis, sold the place out, and then next thing you know, um, one of uh, this, a distributor, uh, Dimension Films, I want to say, or but one, of, but yeah, whoever, whoever became the uh, distributor, um, he's looking through the numbers in Variety, and he's like, "Holy crap! Someone walked away with ninety eight percent of the box office. What the hell's going on here?" It's like, "Oh crap! We turned this down." And then he makes a deal. So Rudy Ray Moore makes a deal with this guy to do a whole wide release. And at first they're like, oh, this is probably not going to go anywhere. They like read some of the negative reviews and they're like, oh man, this isn't going to work. And then, then they show up at the theater for opening night and it's like packed around the block. People are, they have to do a second showing at two o'clock after the midnight release because people are still there to see it. And, he, and it's like, Oh, uh, like just the vindication that he was right all along, that there was this untapped market that nobody was doing so first for his comedy, then for the movies. And it's like, here's this untapped market that nobody is, you know, selling to and he's making mint off of it. And he, he became an icon for that era. And I know, um, Corey from, um, Double Toasted loves talking about Rudy Ray Moore and Dolomite. And so... And if you've seen Dolomite, it shows you how some of the more iconic sequences, like there's the one sequence where uh, he has he has he's supposed to do a sex scene, but he makes it more comedic and makes it a joke, and it and so he allows it to be more funny. And I think knowing that the movie is not supposed to be shaft level serious, but more like a tongue in cheek, uh, let's have fun with it, kind of like um what a uh, Pootie Tang is. Um, not as tongue in, not as comedic as Pootie Tang, but definitely a lot more tongue in cheek. Like, yeah, we know this is this isn't serious, so let's just we're just having fun with it, and people had fun with it. And yeah, it's like even the bad uh, kung fu, it's still like fun to watch. Um, I do like I because I went out and uh, watched Dolomite afterwards because it's on Prime, and. Um, I think a lot of the Rudy Ray Moore catalog is on Prime right now. But, uh, yeah, this is, honestly, if I had seen it uh, during 2019, this would have been right behind Knives Out in my top ten of the year. Absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, Andy Murphy was robbed. He was robbed? And I will not stand for it! (laughs) But um, I will sit for it because that's what I'm doing right now. Sorry. Uh, Bad jokes. Anyway, Dolomite. Honestly, I think black exploitation is just never going to be my thing, and that's fine. I'm a white dude. I'm a 30-year-old white dude in the 21st century. Black exploitation was probably never going to be my thing. That being said, I recognize quality where you know where I where I can. So even though I don't love the movie, knowing the behind-the-scenes stuff and watching it, I'm like. Okay, yeah, that, that, and it actually looks really good. I think it's because they managed to like keep it, cl- keep the cuts clean, and like 
uh, remaster them every so every couple of years. Uh, or not every couple of years, but like, you know, there's, there's probably like a Blu-ray cut where they cleaned up the print. And it looks fantastic. Uh, the, the print that you watch on Amazon is just beautiful. Like, it's on par with the Hollywood stuff from the 70s. So, like, it really is excellent-looking filmography. Like, it, the technical filmmaking for amateurs, you know, specifically for amateurs, is... Excellent. And yeah, I do like the, you know, you do see the sort of more serious take on like, we're dealing with drug pushers and crime, crime in the, in the seedy underbelly of the city. And it, it takes bringing in somebody who was on the inside to bring out, you know, take down the kingpin there. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it really is um, kind of the exempt pro exemplar um, of whatever the term is, but you know, the, 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 the example of like black exploitation, more so than I think, even more so than Shaft. I think Dolomite is the sort of go to example for black exploitation. I think because I think Black Dynamite um, took a lot more from Dolomite than it did from Shaft. So, Dolomite, if you've ever want a kind of encapsulation of everything about black exploitation, uh, you would you should watch Dolomite. It is phenomenal. I mean, I don't have to mention the fact that it's still just a, an, an excellent movie. You know, for like cheesy 70s B-movie kind of uh, action. Uh, I will say it does drag on a bit. And there are whole sequences that you can tell that it was um, adapting uh, Rudy Ray Moore's stand-up. Because of that, I think watching it after the movie get, gave a lot more insight into Dolomite. And so... Hearing the stand-up bits in Dolomite is my name, and then watching Dolomite, you're like, okay, that all bunch of this stuff is just his stand-up. So it's basically like if Chris Rock made a movie, and then it just goes into his stand-up bits. Um, I mean, comedians would do this later on with television, but yeah, Dolomite. Uh, so in that in that regard, I think is Rudy Re is Rudy Re no. Um, I think Lenny Bruce did a comedy movie, but I think that was just more of a stand-up special. I don't know if it was about his life. I don't know. I forget. I forget. I know um, uh, the Dustin Hoffman thing. Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, oh, God. Uh, now I'm trying to... Uh, Dustin Hoffman played Lenny Bruce, and I think Lenny... Yeah, uh, Dustin Hoffman played Lenny Bruce in the movie directed by Bob Fosse, which itself was adapted into Bob Fosse's biopic, which was... Hold on. Trivia, da Pacino off camera, Ah, come on. Um, what was the Bob Fosse biopic? because there was, because I know that part of the Bob Fosse biopic was about him directing, um, Lenny towards the end. Uh. What was that? All that jazz. So yeah, weirdly enough... No. Wait. No, that's directed by Bob Fosse. What was the one I'm thinking? That's not the one I'm thinking of. Um, what's the one I was thinking of? Was it All That Jazz? Hold on. No, Fosse. That was the... No, that's a musical review of Bob Fosse. Damn it. Where's the... 
was it? What was it? That that was it? All that jazz? Because there was like a movie, and it was about Bob. It was specifically about Bob Fosse, and how he and part of it was him directing. Um, Lenny, hold on. Hold on a second. Choreograph Chicago, blah, 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 blah. That must be it. Film within a film version of Lenny after having played a role of Lenny Bruce. Da, 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 da. Okay, so yeah, that's that that is the one I'm thinking of. So yeah, Bob Fosse directed his own autobiographical autobiopic, um, where he actually depicts the filmmaking of Lenny, and there's a guy playing essentially uh um um what's his name? Uh Dustin Hoffman as Lenny Bruce. Uh it's I have to go back and watch. I think that was like Roy Scheider. Is that who is it? Roy Scheider played Bob Fosse. Yeah, it's an interesting movie um but i think lenny was just a biopic wasn't i'm pretty sure lenny was just a biopic um a serbic 1960s comic groundbreaking no holds barred comedy and the establishment to obscene for the public yeah i think this was just a biopic not a not like a real stand-up fictional movie this was uh anyway um yeah at any rate uh yeah i think so yeah, I think kind and that was 1974. So Dolomite was right around that time. So I think Rudy Ray Moore is a uh, the might he might be a um a, a ground because I mean he's decla- they describe him as the godfather of uh, hip hop uh, because of his sort of rhythmic and rhyming um, in his stand up. But uh, he also if he if this if it's true he may actually have been a groundbreaker in the ter- in terms of um in terms of depicting, bringing stand-up comedy to the screen, adapting your stand-up to, to another medium. And I don't know. So yeah, it's, it's a, Dolomite is something. Uh, I would, I recommend you check it out. It's not a mate. I, I didn't love it, but at the same point, like it's still good. It's still, it's still an excellent movie. Um, yeah, that's all I've managed to watch this time around. I'm still kind of, I need to get into the mode of checking out stuff. I mean, come on, again, yeah, there's so much there and it's almost overwhelming. But yeah, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk about my gripes with the horror genre. Fun, fun. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together, we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. I should leave this up front by saying I have not ever really been a fan of horror. Like, the horror genre has never been my cup of tea, my bread and butter. 
Uh, I've always been more of a sci-fi action kind of kid, you know, more so fantasy, um, you know, thing, you know, things that are fantastical. Horror never really stuck with me. Um, I will say that, like, some of the Stephen King stuff um, I do like, but at the same point, like, you know, horror fans are very fervent and passionate. I think that's, I, I think that's just saying the same thing twice, but at any rate, horror fans really love horror. And I think my problem is, here's my big thing. I think horror's bar of entry is so low that you have the same problem you get with um, uh, the Steam, uh, the sort of, you know, Steam games. Uh, I forget what the thing was called. Um, Not just Greenlight, but like how so many just copy-paste cut and you know oh you know copy cut and paste and just cheap games would be unloaded into the steam library and you're seeing that a bit now with nintendo switch's library too the problem is there's no quality control and i think the bar for a bar of entry is so low for horror that there's no real quality control when it comes to um the horror movies especially the ones that get popular because there doesn't there's not horror fans aren't as discerning up front like they'll support horror no matter what especially if it's from a studio or a, a person that they recognize and so even if the movie sucks sometimes they don't care because they got what they want and you know once again this isn't my grievance is not with the horror fans it's with the genre it's with the actual filmmaking uh tactics and things that they do um and you know you know the tropes and certain aspects of it that I just genuinely do not vibe with. And once again, this isn't... Like, once again, I feel like I need to say to the horror fans out there, I'm glad you enjoy your thing. This is not an attack on you. This is why I'm not a fan. And I think the biggest thing is that, once again, not to be a gatekeeper, because the nice thing about horror is the low bar of entry, which means it is tantamount that you have a good writer director behind this because even if the acting isn't great you can overcome that with really good writing and good writing does not need a high budget especially horror writing the problem is horror is so cheap to make you have those guys who do make just cut you know like there's jump scare boo jump scare boo it's all the same crap it's that overloading of all of the same terrible horror it's like it's why um the conjuring whole universe i hate i hate it i think it's garbage but i you know but it's got the same stuff that people like about horror so have at it it's just I hate that we're probably, go- you know, Annabelle Comes Home was probably successful enough to greenlight every single teaser monster from that movie into its own spinoff. And I hate and I hate that it's so flagrant about it. I hate that it's so just cheap and does not care. There is no real care put into that sort of thing. Compare that to The Witch, um, The Witch, or um, Midsommar, um kind of horror not you know more more like psychedelic trip than a horror movie um or um hereditary the you know the guy's previous movie 
or um, uh, what was the one that just uh, Gre- Hansel and Gre- the Gretel and Hansel? I Han- Gretel and Hansel I didn't love, but I appreciated it because they put more effort into it than you see from like the Turning or Brahms to Brahms the Boy Two. And I think the problem is the bar of entry is so low, but they make bank. They're so cheap to make that even if a fraction of the people that go see any of the other movies out there come to see your come to see that movie, then you know they're then they've made their money back and they're fine. So yeah, it's it's kind of concern. You know, I think that's my concern is that. You know, not to gatekeep the whole genre, but some quality control is good. Like we saw with the Steam Store, like we're seeing with the Nintendo eShop. Some quality control is good. You don't want the gates fully open unless you want all everything, no matter what quality, come in and clog up the feet, clog up what people are seeing. And yeah, just... I think on top of the, the cheapness of it is the fact that because it's cheap, you're seeing so many horror filmmakers who just do not care. I mean, the ones that are, like go go in it for the gore, at least you they have a reason for making the movie. They're adap- like adapting the turning of the screw into a modern day horror movie could have been fantastic because from what I read of the short story, it ma- could make for a really compelling thriller and yet they screwed it up by relying on the same tired ass boring tropes that every single horror movie seems to have nowadays and it's every genre has tropes but when the tropes are so prevalent then people are going to lose then some people are going most people are going to lose interest the problem is when people don't lose interest and i'll admit Superhero movies have all kinds of tropes that you can find in every single one, especially the MCU. The MCU has a formula that they beat to death. But I think, but at the same point, like, you begin to feel that when you rewatch these MCU movies, and so it's the ones that kind of subvert the tropes and the formula that start to stick out. And the ones that stick to it, no matter what, are the ones that people kind of are eh on. And I feel like... The problem is horror fans, I don't know, I don't want to go against the fans, but the reason they keep, there's no real quality control is because they do make bank off of every crappy horror movie. I'm shocked that the, that the boy made enough money for a sequel. Genuinely shocked. Because there's no reason for it, but enough people saw it. And I think, I I, I get the feeling that I, if horror fans waited a week and then wait to, waited to see if it's if it's you know waited to see if it's any good and then checked it out, I don't know. I, I I just feel like I just feel like there's a reason this keeps happening and I don't know where in the cycle to break it because ideally you would break it at the filmmaking end, but when you're when you're a profit driven entity and you can make bank, you want to know how crazy. Uh, it is to, to you know for this uh, for these sorts of things to happen. Fantasy Island made its money back and then some. Fanta- Fantasy Island, one of the worst movies to come out this year, made its money back without a problem because that's how cheap they these things are to make. 
and enough people still go see it, whether it's whether it's curiosity or uh, uh, you know expecting like a crappy movie and enjoying it anyway, it's, there is no quality control coming from the students from the filmmakers, and the audience isn't can't doesn't have any control over whether or not they even like it because once again that money could go could be coming from people who hated the movie like my nephew and I when we watched walked out of the turning he is the turning is still his least favorite movie of the year so far, um, but yeah it's. I don't know where to stop the cycle of garbage, but it's it's it, it, it's part of the reason I can never really get into horror because I can never guarantee that what I'm watching is going to be any good, especially since there's a subset of horror um, where they enjoy the terribleness, like bad, you know. And I get that B movie stuff, you know the 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 uh, James Cor Corman, Roger Corman. Roger Corman, uh, James Corman, uh, Roger Corman, or um, um, who's another big B movie uh, filmmaker? But you know the, the the fact that you know they're making garbage to junk you know junk food stuff. I get that, but I I get I guess my problem is what I'm seeing isn't junk food; it's just junk. You know, the turning is junk. Brahms the Boy 2 is junk. Fantasy Island is junk. But it doesn't stop. It just never stops because it's so cheap to make. There is no quality control. And the fan there are not the fans are are widespread enough and there's a massive audience out there enough to continue. And I think the other problem is that not to, you know, adult just you know, horror fans. That you know, they've developed that taste for whatever uh, over years of watching of watching the kinds of movies they enjoyed. I think the other problem is that th so many of them are PG thirteen, which brings in the teenage audience, which has no real discerning tastes. Like people always gripe about kids stuff, and I would lump in PG thirteen horror and action into that because these kids should not sh are being. You know, given basically our movie light garbage, and they're eating it all up because it's basically all they can get until they can see real movies. And not that every PG thirteen movie is bad. It's just when you got a movie that's very clearly R. Most PG thirteen horror movies would be better if they were R rated and just allowed itself to be more scary and more uh, more bloody and just allow for more of the horror genre to seep in. But they but. So, but studios would much rather be PG thirteen because teenagers are not very good at discerning quality, and they'll like a, a crappy movie until they just you know until they get a sense of taste. Um, yeah, it's I, I really I, I'm not I'm not trying to be so derogatory towards horror fans or teenagers. It's just I'm trying to I'm once I'm thinking out in my head why all of this is keeps happening. So many horror movies... And once again, I'm not seeing every horror movie. The movies I'm seeing that are out in theaters are the ones that are released to mass audiences and they're from Blumhouse and these low-budget you know, production houses that know they can release any kind of crap as long as it costs you know, under $10 million to make and they'll make back their money no problem. And I think... That the that low barrier of entry means that they are there isn't as much care 
given into it. Not that, you know, bigger budget means you care more. I mean, freaking look at John Carter. Uh, or, um, you know, any number of big... Do, like, Doolittle. Um, Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Just because there's a bigger budget doesn't mean you cared. But I think when there's more money involved, most filmmakers are more concerned with making the best thing that they can for the money that they are allotted. And when you have, when you're, when you're, there is no real incentive to be good, you, there is no real reason to try. And I think that, I feel like if Blumhouse cared more, I mean, once again, Blumhouse is a business. They can, they care more about profit. So if they make a, I mean, once again, they're making bank off a of fantasy frickin' island from the director of Truth or Dare. Enough money's coming in that they don't care about quality control. There's no reason to because the money's coming in. Uh, so yeah, I think I, as much as I've been ragging on the horror fans for just lapping everything up, that's a that's a very, very uh, reductionist view of horror fans because they they aren't they aren't lapping everything up. You know they they want good movies just like I do. I think the problem is. That what I think you know, just that everything comes back to the filmmakers, and if there's no quality control, then there's you know, then you keep letting garbage out as long as it makes money, then you're actually I think I feel like you're devaluing the genre. You know, once again, not to, I mean, I'm I'm talking from somebody who sits in his freaking house in in Akron, Ohio. I'm not I'm not exactly a mover and shaker in the film industry. I just as a, as a film goer, as a as a fan of people who of somebody who goes to see movies, I want something of decent quality. Like I don't even want the best thing. I just want somebody to care. And the pro and some Bloomhouse movies, people care. Scott Derrickson and uh, see Robert Cargill. Uh, they cared, uh, uh, you know, when they made their movie. What's another Blumhouse? What, let me take a look at the Blumhouse titles. Because there's some really good stuff that comes out of Blumhouse. So, like, uh, where's the list? Here we go. Productions. Um, oh, God, they made the Darwin Awards? Uh, I was working at freaking uh, Hollywood Video when that came out. <laughs> Christ almighty. Um... Oof, they produced the Tooth Fairy too, uh, the one with Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeesh. Um, I'm trying to think, Sinister was good. Um, Insidious wasn't terrible. Oculus was solid. The one that they did with WWE. Um, they did Whip. They they helped produce Whiplash. Okay, I don't like it, but I mean it's a good movie. It's it's not it's not bad. You know, it's not like freaking Ouija or um, the Lazarus Effect. Ugh. Um, the gift that was a good one. That was the uh, one that was directed and written by Joel Edgerton. Um, God, Gem in the Hall. Once again, there's not a lot of quality control over there at uh at a uh, Blumhouse headquarters. Um, which Origin of Evil wasn't bad. Um, Split. Oh god, yeah, he did. They they've been producing uh, um, and my Shyamalan stuff. Belco Experiment was solid. That was um, that was from James Gunn, and uh, it was like the uh, you know the Office like uh Battle Royale movie. I, I had fun with that. Um, da -da 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 -da. 
Ugh. Uh, oh, oh god they did a benji movie for netflix oh no oh no i should watch that but i don't want to oh no i hear i've heard terrible things about that one um upgrade was good uh black clansman they produce they helped produce um Unfriended Dark Web wasn't too bad. Some of the sequels are actually better than the uh, the first ones. Like Unfriended and Ouija had better sequels. Um, but, uh, don't Let Go. I think I saw... Um, I heard about that, but I never got the chance to see it. Um, oh, there's this a really good one. A uh, good poster called Prey. Uh, looks like it's some... Um, folklore thing. Uh, it's like some weird goat-headed monstrosity with sharp teeth. I have to look into that. See if that's available somewhere. Um, that's uh, P R E Y Prey. Um, there's. I'm sorry. They made a sequel to The Gallows. God damn it. Um, but yeah, then Black Christmas was solid. Um, The Invisible Man was good. Uh, yeah. So like. Just, like, the problem is Blumhouse produces more crap than good stuff. So, like, even though they've been releasing good stuff steadily, Get Out was produced by them. Uh, i trying to think what else. Um, but, yeah, like, so, some of these stuff it, they do in conjunction with uh, Universal Pictures and their you know, later Purge movies uh, were, st- were solid. Um I'm sorry, best night ever. Oh no, they didn't. In 2013, they did a they did a production with Friedbergen Seltzer. Jason Blum, you you filthy whore. God damn it. Um so yeah, I think that's the problem, is that Blum you know, Jason Blum is very you know, it's very gates open. Uh, with his policy on what gets made uh, through Blumhouse, because hey, as long as he gives you ten million, from what I hear, um, uh, from what I think Cargo mentioned this, basically he's just like, here's ten million dollars, come back with a finished movie, and if, if I like it, I'll release it. So some of this stuff may may not may not be even able to find. Um, like I've, I haven't heard of a bunch of these martyrs. Uh, something he did for Netflix called Hush, The Darkness. Oh no, crap, I did see that one. That was a stupid one where they made the magic autism boy. God damn it. Um, something called Viral. Uh, something called Incarnate with WWE Studios. Like a bunch of this stuff I'd never even heard of. So, oh god, that's, I think Birth of the Dragon was the one about Bruce Lee that was, that everyone hated. (laughs) Um... Yeah, it's it's we really really uh you know they they're so oh god they did an Amityville sequel I think I heard about that from now playing yeah Blumhouse is the problem with Blumhouse is it's not picky so I mean they end up producing some great stuff like Black Klansman like Upgrade like um, Get Out but they're wholly dependent on what what the um, filmmaker they're hiring is so they could very in so and so if somebody's successful they're not going to turn them down for another production just because their movie sucked and they're a terrible writer like the guy behind truth or dare 
but at the same pro- but the same problem becomes that there's no there's such a low bar for entry that any jackass can come in with um you know with a with a crappy film idea and Blumhouse is like okay if you can make it for 10 million dollars you're good and they can make it on the cheap and then they're and then we get stuck with the gallows act 2 god damn it i'm sorry are they remaking the craft son of a bitch they're trying to remake the craft huh who's behind it zoe lister jones known for new girl and life in pieces she's apparently done a lot more comedy um something called band-aid She's more of an actress than a filmmaker, it looks like. Um, huh. I mean... Okay. Uh, like, once again, apparently, you know, it's... It's it's the craft. It's... It, you know, it, 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 I mean, it's... If this Zoe Lister-Jones has what it takes, maybe it'll be fine, but... Um, Michelle Morgan's in it, and David Duchovny's gonna be in it. Uh... So that's gonna be on hold while the while the 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 Rona is out and about. But um, yeah, it's it's it really once again it's there is no real quality control coming from Blumhouse. So all these crappy movies that keep getting made just they it doesn't matter because he gets his money back one way or another. And there's no there's no incentive for him to focus solely on good movies or interesting. That's why that's why I compare him to. Let's take a look at Neon, because I I talk up um I talk up uh A24 enough. <laughs> I love A24. Um Companies Distributor, here we go. Um Oh they're not a I'm sorry, Neon is part of Blumhouse has a division with Blumhouse Productions? BH Tilt is part of Neon. <laughs> I did not know that. Damn. Uh, but yeah, like, some of these just, I don't know about production. I guess I should look into, I oh, know they, they're, they're part production. They're distributor, but they're also producers. Um, but yeah, like Neon and A24, they always manage to get their hands on some really interesting uh, movies. Like, um, Ingrid Goes West. For Neon, Colossal was their first uh, major release, and that was an excellent sort of uh, subversion of the kaiju genre. It's like more of a character study piece. Um, Honeyland, they just got nominated for a bunch of awards for. Uh, Parasite, they distributed. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I need to watch that one. Oh God! They did the they did do the lodge. Oh buddies! Oh no! Oh, they're doing that's right. They're doing the um the the story about Marianning, where uh, Kate Winslet is Marianning and Saoirse Ronan's in it. Oh, neat, neat. I'm into that. I want to see that. Uh, I have to get. I hope to see that. Um, and yeah, A twenty four is really some of my favorite movies uh, of the last decade. Um, uh, Moonlight. Uh, they had produced the Carmichael show, Ex Machina, uh, they did the Vitch, the V-Vitch, uh, they did Room, uh, which got Brie Larson her, uh, Academy Award, um, they did Amy, the documentary on Amy Winehouse, um, they, they did, uh, what is it, um, uh, what was it, uh, um, Swiss Army Man, 
which I loved. Uh, let's see what else. Um, Green Room, another fantastic one. Uh, I haven't seen Sea of Trees. Um, what's the monster? Don't recognize that one. Some horror movie uh, starring Zoe Kazan. Free Fire I loved. Um, it comes at night I didn't mind. I heard good things about a ghost story too. Um, the Killing of a Sacred Deer I heard good things about. Lady Bird, Disaster Artist. Um, Hereditary they did. Eighth Grade they did. Uh, Slice. One slice. Huh. Zazie Beats, Chance Bennett. Uh, seems to be some kind of comedy throwback to, like, 90s black exploitation. Um, mid-90s they did, which is alright. Um, Native Son. Why do I know that one? Huh. Wait. Richard Wright. Okay. Uh, apparently that came out already. I thought it was supposed to come out, like, later. I don't know. Um, Midsummer. The Farewell. Oh, the one with, uh, uh, Aquafina. Yeah, The Lighthouse they did. Um, Ways, which I liked. Uh, Uncut Gems was an uh, was another sort of, um, for, you know, overlooked gem. Uh, the First Cow, which has been making the rounds on the, on the, on the sort of indie circuit. And the, um, uh, I think it was, do it was, uh, doing the, um, what are they called? Uh, Festival Circuits. Uh, before the before the quarantine started happening, uh, they're doing the Green Knight, which is like a Arthurian horror movie. It looks like um, they're doing another they're doing an adaptation of Macbeth by Joel Cohen. I'm sorry, what of the Cohen brothers? Yeah, Joel Cohen is directing an adaptation of Macbeth with Denzel Washington as as Macbeth. And Francis McDormand as Lady Macbeth. I'm sorry, I did not know this even existed, and now I want it. Ah, oh, I can't wait for production to, re to start up on that again. Uh, start up on that. That sounds fantastic. But yeah, so like A24, like not everything gets wide release like Moonlight did, or Green Room did, uh, or even Swiss Army Man. But like, the stuff that they pick tends to be better than, you know, uh... I mean, they have their own blemishes like Tusk or um, Spring Breakers, depending on who you ask. Um, I heard some people didn't like The Lobster. That was one of them. Or I know a um, uh, friend of the show. Uh, I shouldn't say that. That's She, she doesn't know. I, uh, but yeah, the uh, Jordan over at um, uh, Bad Romance Pod and... Uh, uh, what's it? I forget what her main um, like writing review... Uh, site is called but uh i think it's bitch media i don't i don't want to say it's just bitch media or something like that but it's you know go check her out on twitter j-o-u-r-d-a-y-e-n fantastic insight into filmmaking and whatnot and um you know she's a fellow lefty but uh that that um that's that's neither here nor there but uh she's talked about how she thinks the florida project is kind of like poverty porn for like rich people to feel bad about poor people and it's very down punches and it likes to punch down on uh poor people um what's another one uh high life they did okay no let's okay no that's the Recent one. I didn't think I got to. Sh I didn't get a chance to see that one. Um, Last Black Man in San Francisco. I've heard good things about. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, they, they're they not amazing. I've also heard some people didn't like Waves. Um, I liked it, but I also, you know, I'm very open to hear why people didn't like a thing. So, you know, so I can get their insight. But yeah, it's, it's um you know, these guys, Neon and A24, seem to have a better idea of quality control when it comes to um, what what films they put out. I feel like if Blumhouse had more... Like, he's still willing to um, put, like, the $10 million to anything, but I feel like he should be pursuing, like, indie and up-and-coming, like, you know, just out of film school or trying to make it in the business, like, people scratching and, you know, trying to make it their way in. And he's like, okay, I like this story. So this, if he's liking the stories for Truth or Dare and Fantasy Island, then he's got terrible taste. I can't imagine he likes a bunch of the crap he makes, but he likes the money it brings in, so who cares? Once again, I think that's the problem, is that when there's no quality control going in, then you get, gar you know, it's garbage in, garbage out, and, you know, horror fans, um, you know, they, they like what they like, and it's up to the filmmakers to make something better, and if it's up to Blumhouse and his mindset of do it cheap, do it quick, you know, do it quick, and then we'll make bank, if, if we make bank, great, if not, we'll break even, then, then, ugh, ugh. I just, yeah, I, I just hate that model. I hate that sort of callousness about filmmaking. It's, it's really, it really bugs me. And I feel like we deserve better. And I would like more horror movies if they were more willing to be interesting and have good stuff coming in instead of just relying on the same tired hack tropes and not caring about what they make as long as they know that horror fans will eat it up. So who cares? Anyway, yeah. So, I mean, once again, nothing against the horror fans. You like what you like. I know I like plenty. Of, I like my favorite movie of the decade was Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I I understand. I understand you like what you like. You can't help what you like. But I feel like horror fans deserve, de you know, better quality, better caliber of movies. Even if it's just B-movie, slasher, gory nonsense. They deserve a higher quality of film. And I feel like between the PG-13 crap and catering to a tasteless audience and not and people not caring because they'll make their money back anyway, the horror the horror genre is just writ riddled with garbage and they deserve better. That's all. So yeah. That's been my that's my airing of grievances for horror films. Uh, if you if you didn't mind that and you wanted me to kind of air my grievances with uh, other genres, I'll be happy to do that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my biggest gripe. And I think the turn, especially since the turning is about to come out on DVD, don't support that. You don't need to watch that. There's like a '50s adaptation of the story that's probably way better than the garbage they did this year. Just uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, once again, no. Uh, box office report, no real uh, stuff. I do, I am going to look at, um, that's the other thing I wanted to look at. What's coming out on video this week? Um, the big things coming out this week, of the week of this show, is The Turning, um, Like a Boss is coming out on video, and something called The Last Full Measure, a bunch of stuff I've never heard of. There's something called The 420 Movie. Which I'm guessing is coming to a direct, you know, coming to a five for five dollar bin near you. Um, Roman loves some Hallmark movie. A couple of stuff maybe just be coming to digital. I don't know, but uh, yeah, that's what. And then a, and then on the tenth, 
We've got um, a bunch of stuff coming to Netflix. Tiger Tail, um, School Life, I've never heard of. Uh, the, Le- the Le Miserable, uh, uh, that French uh, film that was nominated for Best Foreign Language Pictures coming to Amazon. The main event... 11-year-old aspiring wrestler enters a competition to become the next WWE superstar. I bet that sounds like fun! Oh, boy. Um, Love Wedding Repeat. I'm sorry, what? It's some British British movie. Who's in this crap? Olivia Munn. Oh, God. (laughs) Sam Claflin and Olivia Munn are the selling points. Who the hell is Sam Claflin? Best known for Finnick O'Dare. Oh, good. That kid. The kid who was the paraplegic, the quadriplegic in that garbage movie, Me Before You. Fun. So him and Olivia Munn are in some wedding romance movie for Netflix. Directed by Dean Craig. Best known for Death at a Funeral. Oh, boy. Although Death at a Funeral isn't terrible. The British one I hear is good. Um, anyway... That's what's coming out this week. Uh, that about does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. And we'll be uh, we have new episodes out every Monday. And then you, while you're here, you can check out all of our new episodes for various other projects. Uh, D- Dungeons & Dragon Types will have a new episode coming out this week. Um, we should be getting the new Living in the Stacks out later this month. And uh, you can also check out all of Donna's stuff the at the Snarkcast, uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, Once More with Feeling, and um, The Family Business, as well as some of our older stuff. Uh, I attended a regular D&D show called uh, Tragic Missile. You can check that out on the website. Uh, you can check out me and uh, my my attempt at, uh, you know, not my attempt, but uh, me and a friend's um, breakdown of Japanese media and culture, uh, Majide. You can check out... Um, you know, uh, my old uh, reviews with one of our site founders um, called Phantom of the Podcast, which is still getting likes on Facebook. So people are checking that thing out and we need to bring it back at some point. Uh, we may do that in the midst of this quarantine, but we'll see. But yeah, check out all of our fine stuff. And if you're a podcaster and would like to join our fledgling little family, you can send us uh, your information at gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on the go, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, and wherever else podcasts are listened to. If we're not there, let me know so I can add us to, add this show to that list. And uh, while you're there, leave a five-star rating and review. Let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also find us on social media, the Facebook uh, homepage is facebook.com slash popcorn junkie um, twitter at pop, at corn junkie pod fa- uh, instagram at popcorn junkie podcast Le- uh, letterboxd I've been a little a little bit more active on because apparently Tiger King and McMillions apparently they have uh, miniseries but not TV it's interesting I feel like they should add TV at some point but um, you know maybe like a spin-off thing where they have TV and movies but um yeah, uh, Letterboxd is Corn Junkie Pod. I'm not as I haven't been as active on the Stardust. I need to fix that. Uh, but that is Popcorn Junkie. Po- that is Popcorn Junkie on Stardust, and I think that 
If you want to help the show out and you can in this time of need, uh, if you're able to spend as little as a dollar a month, you become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. There you can help dictate content for the show, have access to um, my one, uh, my make a better movie series and my um, munch along series where I do basically a riff tracks watch along with uh, various movies. And if you want to help create content for the show, uh, you can do so by uh, supporting us on page at patreon.com slash popcorn junkie. And if there's anything else you want to say to me, any kind of feedback you want to give, if you have any rebuttals to my points, I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, send all of that to popcorn junkie podcast at gmail.com or hit me up on social media. And, uh, I'll, I'd love to hear what you guys think. That about does it for this week's show. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and I've got a boil, like, right on my waistline. It's been a pain in the ass for, like, the last two weeks. Oh, well. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. <laughs>